Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Again, want to welcome each of you here this morning. Uh, very glad for your presence, encouraged by your presence, and um, thank you for being here. Lord willing, we're going to talk about relationships this morning. We're going to talk about how to make them good, mainly through meeting each other's relational needs. Um, before I do that, though, I do want to thank Brother Dustin Gaskins, who's not here, for helping me keep focused on target audience, and uh, Brother Les Jones, too. Les, I'm not going to get all those questions answered, but they're wonderful, and Lord willing, we'll do that later on, but thanks for that. Um, also, Greg, don't spill your coffee this morning. I've got a good friend of mine again listening in, so hopefully he gets something out of that as well. And speaking of relationships, uh, hopefully there's something here uh, for everyone today. Because meeting each other's needs in terms of relationships is something that works with every relationship. Every relationship. We're going to focus on the marriage particularly, but hopefully we'll have some things there too that apply to um, other relationships as well. This is not done in, by the way, to condemn anyone, and it's not because I have all the answers. Uh, I plan to go to a marriage seminar in March, and Brother Mike Hall is going to have all the answers. So looking forward to that a lot. Okay, now there's probably some folks out there today who are sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, I've been married 10, 20, 30, 70 years. Why do I need this? And that's a great question. Hopefully we can answer that. So one of the things I'm going to ask you is how good is your marriage? And if we do that on a scale of 1 to 10, if it's not a 10, then we need to work. And I would just tell you that in my next month, the Lord gives me that time, 65 years on this planet, I've never had a perfect relationship. And the biggest reason it's not been perfect is because I'm half of it. And I'm not perfect. My relationship with God from His part is perfect. And through His grace, He makes my half perfect. But I have a lot of imperfections. That relationship needs constant work and maintenance. So there may be those that ask the question, um, I'm not married. Why do I need this? And again, a great question. And I'm going to answer that with a particular verse out there. And in a, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now that word sanctification means what sets us apart. This is what makes us different from the world. That we should abstain from sexual immorality. That's not the only reason we need that, but that's a good reason right there. If we're single in particular. And again, we may ask the question, Hey, I'm married, but I'm not having any problems. Why do I need this? And again, a particular verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, does what? Walks about as a roaring lion sinking whom he may devour. What is his purpose in life? It's to destroy. It's to kill. It's to steal. So if we've got a good relationship, Satan's not happy about that, and he's going to work to create dysfunction in that relationship. Anyone that we've got to include the marital relationship that we have. Now, I also want to make sure that what I present this morning is in accordance with the biblical New Testament point of view. 
So when I talk about the biblical viewpoint, I'm talking about the New Testament viewpoint of relationships. And I believe that the Bible is a complete, revealed, inerrant Word of God. It is the book. And brothers and sisters, when we've got a book, it only makes sense to go to the book and look for answers. And so that's what I want to do this morning. So if I say something that's not socially acceptable, and I plan to do that. Now, I don't plan to say things just to be socially unacceptable, but because our society has begun to take God's word as unacceptable, then I ask you to forgive me if I present it in a way that's unacceptable. But if it's God's word that is unacceptable, then we have work to do. Oh boy, we're better to start than in the beginning, right? Uh, our brother Bruce talked last Sunday, for those of you blessed to hear that, about our identity and how that's rooted in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing, right? That we're rooted in Jesus Christ. So, we're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to read some verses out of there. And it starts in, I'm sorry, verse number 18. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now Adam had an opportunity to view every creature that God had made. And I think that's very important. And he brought them before Adam. And having inspected every one of those, and that includes dogs and cats and horses and turtles and every creature created by man. And you know what was not found there? That help was comparable to him. And God created her, not from the dust of the ground like every other creature, but from a rib that he took from Adam. And they're truly one flesh. You and I, when we enter into a marriage covenant, are entering into a same relationship where we become that one flesh. We'll talk some more about that, Lord willing, later on. Do want to talk about some lessons that we learn from those particular verses. And number one, that is the biblical relationship there consists of one man and one woman. We could spend a lot of time there today. We're not going to. I think that's pretty evident, though. One man, one woman. Uh, there also were roles that were assigned to each of those two people, the man and the woman, roles that were assigned. Now, roles don't imply the importance of those people to God in any way, shape, or fashion. It doesn't mean that God loves one or esteems one above the other. It means that each of us have a role to perform and we're accountable to God 
for how we fulfill that role. Each of us. Now in Genesis... Uh, tells us that God realized it wasn't good for man to be alone, then he decided to make that helper suitable for him. There's a lot of people that shy away from that today because we don't want to talk about that. But I'm going to because I'm not smart enough not to. And Brother Craig's going to help me out. If I get in trouble, he's going to give me the cutoff and he'll come up here and fix all that. When we're talking about a helper suitable for him, you know, there's been a lot of talk, uh, I think, in religious circles today, and it's very popular for people to go out and say, you know what, that word helper, every other time it's used in the Bible, it refers to God. Amen. That's correct. And how God is a helper, that's correct. And then the assumption is that woman was created to rescue or save man. That's incorrect. There's one rescuer, there's one savior, and his name is Jesus. The reason that woman was created is because man was incomplete without her. It was to complete man. Woman's not complete, nor is man complete without the other. That's how God created us. That's why he made us differently and hardwired things in that are not the same. And again, we could spend a lot of time. We're going to let that set for right now. When we think about, by the way, that particular term, helper. I wanted to look at one of the verses in Scripture that's used for that. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, sorry, 33, verse 26, it says, There's no one like the God of Yeshua who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency and in his excellency on the clouds. Now, when we think about a helper comparable to us, this person should ride the very clouds of heaven. To complete us. Now think about what he's saying there. If we want to compare people to God, let's do that. Let's be fair. But that's how important it is for us to support one another. This is not a one-way relationship. This thing goes two ways. And I've heard that women should be man's greatest cheerleader. I amen that. But brethren, we should be our wives' greatest cheerleaders too. Life's hard. And it's hard enough without us being each other's worst critic. I don't need another critic. I got plenty of those. Now, if you need more, call me up. I can do that for you. And sometimes it works that way when a preacher's driving home and who's his best critic? His wife. And I'm going to recommend you don't do that. That does not help the marriage relationship. If I get up here and preach and all the way home I get preached at and it's about how incompetent I was or things I should have addressed and didn't or I did it in a poor way, that doesn't help my marriage. And I don't think that's what God intended. Now that doesn't mean that we wear a blindfold and we go in and we just prop up and blow smoke. We need to be sincere in our support of one another. But brothers and sisters, if we're in a marriage relationship and we can't look at that other half of that equation and find something in sincerity that we can support them on, we're in trouble. It's not them. We're in trouble. We are. I do want to also talk to you about relationships for just a minute in terms of what looks like a biblical healthy relationship. A healthy biblical relationship is one that is reciprocal and mutually supportive. Now, I want you to think about that. It is reciprocal 
It goes two ways, and it's mutually supportive. We support one another. If we don't have that in a relationship, we don't have a biblical, healthy relationship. And then lastly, the marriage relationship is a primary relationship in the family. And I know we got some people out there going, wait a minute, my relationship with God, I understand that. That's an understood. Because we're Christians. We understand that our first relationship is God. Now somewhere along the line, sometimes we get uh, very forgetful and we forget to leave and cleave. We'll talk more about that later. Or all of a sudden, my children are everything to me. I don't know if you've ever heard that. If your children are everything to you and you're a married woman or a married man, you're sinning. Let me just help you with that. The primary relationship in that family has to be the marriage relationship. Everything else is subordinate and secondary. Everything else. And then lastly, uh, but I want you to know in 1 Corinthians eleven three that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a uh, woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. He starts to talk about the roles that we fulfill in the family. We'll talk about that more later on, but I want to introduce that concept right now. Now, if we started with a blank slide out here and we had the right forum, I would say, ooh, what are needs that you have in a relationship? And so you probably would start to tell me, and boom, here they would begin to come, right? Here are these things. And I'm going to give you ten of them that I believe the Bible talks about that each of us have in terms of relational needs. And it doesn't matter what relationship we've got. These are important. These are effective. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do today in terms of our own relationships, Brother Bruce has been kind enough to print up some of these out there. And it's on front and back, and it's got these ten needs out there. And it has those relational needs, and it talks about my love language and her love language. And the reason they're in different colors is because we don't speak the same language. It took me a while to figure out. When Jean and I would sit down and talk, she would speak in femaleese. And I would translate that into maleese. And then I would go, oh, this is what she's telling me. And then I would go out and action that. And then we would get back together and we would talk again. And she would say, you're not doing anything that I asked you to do. And I'm like, I'm doing everything you asked me to do. No, I told you, boom. And I said, yes, that's what I'm doing. Well, it works the other way, too, because I would tell her stuff in maleese. She'd translate it into femaleese, and she would go action it, and I'm like, you're not doing anything I asked you to do. And she said, yes, I'm doing everything. We had to learn to speak each other's love language, and that's important. We'll spend a lot more time, Lord willing, during the marriage uh, seminar that we have on that kind of thing, but it's important we understand love language. So what I'm going to ask you to do with these ten things is to sit down and do a couple of things. One is... Uh, I want you to prioritize these from 1 through 10, whatever you think is most important, and put it at number 1, and go all the way through 10. You may have never done that. It was an eye-opener for me. I'm not asking you to do things that I won't do, by the way. And it can be painful. Now, once you do that, then you do it for your wife, and you don't consult her while you're doing it. That's cheating. You do what you think her priorities are, or your husband's, and then sit down and think, how do I want my wife to meet this relational need? And you write it down. And I'll confess to you, some of those I never knew how I wanted her to do that. 
And I'm going to tell you straight up, if you can't tell your spouse how to do that, they can't meet it. Can't be done. And we have no right to expect that. We have to be able to know what we want and articulate it in that relationship. It works that way in every relationship, particularly in marriage. Then you look at the other side and you write down how you're meeting every one of those needs that she has or that he has. Again, no console. And I'm going to tell you, it's a pretty hollow feeling where you come to one of those and you go, ah, there's nothing in that box. I whiffed. I didn't even know. And I promise you, if you're not doing anything to meet it, that need is not getting met. And then we're going to do a comparison. Now, two good things come from that. Number one is when you look at your spouse's uh, page and it says, hey, this is what I'm trying to do to meet your needs, at least you see effort. They're trying. And that's important. Because there's times when I thought she's not trying. Well, she was. The effort just not going in the right direction. And that's what this is about. Not working harder, it's working smarter. And we put that effort into the right direction. She does the same thing. And all of a sudden, boom. It's amazing how that relationship can take off because we start speaking each other's language. That's a really helpful first start, by the way. Uh, anybody that wants some of those, those handouts are back there. And I hope that's a useful, helpful tool for you. It can be something like, by the way, how do you meet uh, my approval as a male? Well, don't criticize every decision I make. That'd be really helpful. I hear a lot of women talk about, hey, I'm in submission, but I just have to tell him. No, if you're killing his confidence, if you're cutting him off with the kneecaps, you're not helping him out. Well, what about her in terms of affection? Could just be holding her hand, putting her, putting your arm around her in the assembly. Can be something as small as that. But she'll let you know. There's the other um, five up there, by the way. Now I want to talk a little bit about how we meet those needs also or how we fail to meet them initially and then how we meet them. If you see those, I've broken them up to balance the slide. We all need all ten of them. But it's really handy to put five on both sides and to color code them. Male and female. So in a balanced, healthy relationship, a biblical relationship, it works like that. We all meet those things within healthy boundaries. And then what happens? We bring baggage into it, right? Baggage can be a lot of different things, but when we do, notice I can't see my needs. I really can't even see hers because all the baggage is in the way. And all of a sudden, my relationship looks like this. And then what is baggage? Well, it can be a lot of things. We talk a lot about mm, unhealthy ways of doing things. It can be addiction, right? It can be, ooh, my spouse is a Christian. You know what? She'll never divorce me. Boy, if you believe that, and that's what you're basing your relationship on, you're failing. I promise you. What about this one? I know what the Bible says. You know when I hear that from people? When they're not doing what the Bible says. You may know it, but you ain't doing. There's a whole lot of chips are flying over here, but there ain't no wood getting cut. Okay? My mommy and daddy's marriage was perfect. If you think your parents had a perfect marriage, you're going to mess yours up. Nobody has a perfect marriage. Now, some people can have a really good marriage, and they model that for us. We've got that right here in this congregation, and God bless you for doing that. But if we think anybody's marriage was perfect, and we're going to, 
make sure that ours is just like that, we got a problem. And we're going to carry that into the marriage. What about this? Whew, it's a woman's duty to suffer. If you go into a marriage, women, thinking that it's your duty to suffer, there's no joy going to be in that. There should be joy in this union, in both roles and fulfilling them. Not built to suffer. So what happens when we have this unbalanced, unhealthy relationship? Again, this gets in the way. And I'm going to tell you something that I've learned. When my needs are not getting met and my feelings get hurt and I start to whine. And I'm going to tell you, most of us men, we're big sissies. And I'm a big sissy. So when I'm not getting what I think I ought to get, if I'm not careful, I start focusing on my needs. And when I do that, hers will never get met. What I've noticed is that when I focus on her needs and start to meet those, all of a sudden my needs start getting met. Funny how that works, isn't it? There's where that reciprocal mutual support comes from. I get what I give, right? It's very important that we do that. Now, we also have some kind of problems that come up in every relationship. Amen? Please, nod your head. Every relationship, right? If you've not, either you're clueless or you've never had a relationship. They come up in every relationship, okay? So, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you, Brother Bruce, for the reading this morning. We're going to spend some time there. We're going to go through this pretty quickly because uh, Brother Taylor has told me that we're supposed to hold this down in about 30 minutes because we've got things to do tonight. So, we're going to run through this fairly quickly if we can, but the Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives. We're going to stop right there because how do I love my wife? Is that an emotion? Is that a feeling? Well, we often go to 1 Corinthians 13, right? And it tells us, boom, here are some things. And that's a good thing to do. But you know what? Ephesians 5 tells us men how to love our wives. And notice I started with the men. And I'm going to spend more time with the men than I do the women this morning. Because I'm a man. So, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a very interesting kind of term there. That comes from this particular Greek word. And what it means is to give oneself up to give oneself to death for, to undergo death for the salvation of. This doesn't mean I'm going to go out here and kill myself for my wife. What this really means is that just as Christ not only died for the church, but he lived his entire life for the church. Now as males, we have a responsibility to be the head of that household. And when we do, let's talk about the three P's. Protect, present, and provide. We're on protect right now. We as men are here to protect this relationship. And that means from everybody and everything, starting with ourselves. And men, we have to protect our wives from ourselves. You know why? Because we can be prideful, we can be arrogant, we can be selfish, we can be weak, we can be sniveling. We can do a lot of things out here, but we're not doing what God has called us to do. He's going to tell us how to love our wives in terms of protecting them. But notice the role model. He's comparing the church and its relationship with Christ to a husband and wife. And he starts off by saying, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How, what did that look like? Gave himself for it. 
Each and every day that we wake up, man, we're supposed to give ourselves for that relationship. How many days do we think that Jesus woke up and said, you know what, I'm not even going to worry about church today. I'm just going to take a day off. Oh, I know the church is going to need something, but I'm tired. I'm busy. I want to go play golf. There's a ball game on. Do we really think that was Christ's attitude towards the church? Well, guess what? I'm in charge, so I can do what I want to do. Well, he is in charge. But guess what? He's got a head he reports to. And you and I may be the head of the household, but we report up to a higher power. We're accountable. So let's think about that, if you would. Again, give ourselves for it. Now, one other thing is to deliver over with a sense of close personal involvement. Close personal involvement. We're not going to be good husbands if we're not closely personally involved in our lives, in our wives' lives. Now, that doesn't mean we control it. That doesn't mean she can never go out and have time with the sisters to do a Bible study, to go visit in a hospital. But that means that we need to be involved in her life. We do need to know where she's going to be because we're involved and we care, not because we're there to control. Different concept. He also says, in terms of present, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. I love this. Uh, it means to place beside, to present, stand by, appear with a quality which the person or thing exhibits. When you present your wife, when you introduce her to somebody, how do you do that? This my old lady. This my ball and chain. This is the person who's endured our marriage for 43 years. Or do we do it as Christ does the church? What? That it's glorious. It doesn't have Sparta wrinkle or any such thing. That it's holy and without blemish. Is that how we present them? Is that what we're working towards? Again, our focus is this relationship. It's not self. And if in doing that, we're not supporting our wives and helping them be presented just like this, we're failing, men, in our role. This is why we're the head of the household, so that we can do this work. It is a responsibility and a work. And to provide. You know, most of us think, ooh, that's finances. i got to go to work. Okay, I'm here with you. But if we think that's all that provide means, again, we're not even seeing the ball coming to swing in, much less getting a hit. We're talking about providing. We need to provide physically, spiritually, emotionally. Ooh. But I was raised without emotion. Now, again, a different form would have hands raised. I'm going to tell you, my generation, if you were a male, you were raised without emotion. It wasn't good to show emotion. You didn't cry. Big boys did not cry. If you got thrown off the horse, you got back on it. We didn't do those kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, we get married and we got a wife full of emotions. We don't know what to do, but we need to figure that out. 
And we need to be emotionally available to them. We need to learn how to talk about our feelings just like they do. And we need to have those feelings, brothers and sisters. That's good for us. For those of you who are not married, the things that we've talked about, I want you to be looking, if you're looking at a particular person, and see how you think they match up with this. Especially you young ladies. If that young man that you're looking at, you don't see him leading that family spiritually. Leading that family, P, 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 right? To protect, to present, and uh, to provide. Then you need to run, not walk from that relationship. It's not healthy for you. If the man that you're looking at is selfish now, it isn't going to get better just because he gets married. There's no magic dust that gets sprinkled at a marriage ceremony. I've been to a lot of them. I've never seen that magic dust. It's not there. These are characteristics that this man needs to have before marriage. Not learn as he goes. He needs to have these embedded in him. And also for the man, I want you to think about this. The scripture does not say, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church as long as she pleases me. And what it says, as husbands, us loving our wives is not contingent on our wives doing anything except breathing. That's it. Now, we're going to talk about what wives need to do in a minute. But man, our love is not conditional, it's unconditional. Just as Christ loved the church unconditionally. Now, there are people that make statements like, what if I don't love my body? And what he says is to love our own wives as the Lord does the church. And how do we do that? By loving our own bodies. Think about that for just a minute. How do we do that? He nourishes it. He cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. If you're, if you're going to use that for an excuse, you're committing a sin. I'm just going to throw that out. Well, I don't love my body, therefore I don't have to love my wife. And we can try for double jeopardy if you want. Brothers and sisters, we are to love our wives. And we're supposed to nourish and cherish them. And you know what that means? It It's from ek, out from, to feed. So we properly feed, nourish, uh, to its intended outcome. Now, what's the intended outcome of our marriage? That we can present our wives how? Holy, without blemish. Perfect. That's our work. That's our task. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Ephesians 5, starting verse 22. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for he is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. That word translated as subject and translated as submit is exactly the same word in the Greek. By the way, it means to place under, to subject to. And notice the important word here is I submit. I put myself into subjection. No man could ever put any woman into subjection. You can beat them. You can put them in prison. You can threaten them. You can do a lot of stuff, but you can never make that woman go into subjection. Not biblical subjection. You can put her into slavery. You can put her into bondage. That's not a marriage. The only way that a woman goes into subjection to anyone is she does it herself. She does it herself. She makes that decision. And I'm going to tell you, my wife has taught me more about subjection 
than I've ever taught her. Now, I'm supposed to be a role model. And my head is Christ, and I'm supposed to be in subjection to Him. And I should be modeling submission and subjection for her. And what I've found is it's really the other way around most of the time where I'm learning from her. But I hope that we're all teachable. And I hope that we all can learn things. And it's okay to learn something from your wife. It's also okay to learn something from your husband. So, to place under that. And again, properly under God's arrangement. And why is it that the woman is supposed to be in subjection and submission? Because that's God's arrangement for marriage. That's not a patriarchal system that a bunch of guys got together and put up. This is God's arrangement. And I'm going to tell you, knowing what I know and having experience being married 43 years I got now, if I had my choice, I'd do it the other way around. Because it's hard. It's hard. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I'm not going to pretend to tell you that I do. And I do know that as men, it's our job to make it easy for them to be in submission. When God talked to Abraham, he said, I know you're going to have your house what? In order. You're going to have your house in submission. That's going to happen. And as they say, we do need more Sarahs in the church. And as Sister Teal once said, we'll have them when we have more Abrahams. Now, if our wives, by the way, are demanding our time, all of our time, if they're questioning our judgment, if they're constantly pointing out our perceived faults, then guess what? They are not in subjection to us. And it says in everything. In everything. Think about that. And again, we're not talking bondage. We're talking about biblical submission. Completely different. We skip to verse 33. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, interesting to me that I don't find anywhere that the woman is commanded to love her husband. Now, she's to be taught how to love her husband. Titus chapter 2, right? Older women teach what? The younger women how to love their husbands. That's not natural. We have to learn how to do those things. But she is commanded to respect him. And why are husbands told to love their wives? Not natural for us. We have to learn how to do that. Respects her husband. Again, that means to reverence, to venerate, to treat with deference or reverential obedience. It means to admire, to honor. A good wife will value her husband's opinions, admire his values and character and considerate of his needs, just as his need for self-confidence and the need to be needed. We as men need to be needed. And you've got to let us do that. That's part of it. But we also need what? We need your support. We need your help. We need your respect. And God demands it. This is what we have. Now, again, if you're not married and you're out there looking at somebody, and it's not somebody whose values and characters that you admire, if it's not someone that you value their opinions, and it's not someone that you can be considerate of their needs and have confidence in them, run, don't walk. That's not the person for you. Now, just want to leave you with a closing thought here. In relationships, and particularly in terms of marriages, we communicate. Some of us more effectively than others. But when we have troubles in a marriage, 
typically what we do is what we call triangulation. We reach out to somebody else. If I'm a mama's boy, I'm going to mama. Okay? When I go to mama, guess what? Then mama lines with me and communication begins to go through her. Notice how this is out of kilter here? Because that's not God's design. Now it works the other way too. So a lot of times a woman will go out of her BFF. I know some of this stuff because I get on Facebook about once a month. So she'll go to her BFF and then what happens? Boom. Communication starts to flow through her instead of go to each other. Now I do have a recommendation and it's a biblical recommendation that talks about when we do that, let's go to Jesus. Number one, we're both going to the same source. And that's important. A common religion, a common faith, a common Bible, the Word of God is where we need to go to help do that. That keeps this thing in line. And notice that Jesus doesn't line up with either one of us. He lines up with our relationship. And if we want to be right with Him, we line up with us. That's where we go. Now, where all of this leads us to, and I don't want to say, by the way, that it's wrong for us to seek outside help if we're having problems in a relationship. We got four elders here. We got four elders' wives. We've got men and women here who are wise, who are steeped in the scriptures, who can help us with relational issues. So it's not wrong to go outside of marriage to do that. But when we do that, our focus has always got to be what we're looking at in terms of the Lord. We understand that Jesus is there. We understand that our roadway is to him and that he is also responsible to God. If we want answers, our safe place is always going to be the cross. Every time, without fail. If you and I are having any kind of trouble, any kind of trials, any kind of tribulation in our lives, this is our safe space. This is where we want to be. This is our source of strength. This is what keeps families together, whole, healthy, and joyous. It's the foot of this cross. If there's anyone here this morning who is not a member of the body of Christ and would like to do so, if there's anyone here this morning who would desire the prayers of the church, we're going to ask that you come forward and have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com normanchurch.com normanchurch.com